0: Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton.
1: Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, open our hearts and our minds and do this by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures have been read and as your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. One day, not too many years ago, when all of my children were still at home, my son came home one day and said that his Sunday school teacher had begun a new study on Ecclesiastes, and I was elated. Of the Old Testament books, Ecclesiastes is my favorite. It may be my favorite book in all of the Bible. Unfortunately, my son did not share my enthusiasm. (laughs) And after I I, I dug a little deeper, I found out why. His teacher had given the class a one-sentence summary of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I quote, Life stinks and then you die. (laughs) Except he didn't say stinks. And and I'm just going to tell you, as a Bible teacher, that is my vocation... Teaching elder, I was furious. I was, I was so frustrated. How could anyone think of Ecclesiastes that way? Well, as it turns out, more than I realized. Since becoming a minister, I have come to realize that next to the Song of Solomon and Revelation, there may be no other book in the Bible misunderstood as much as Ecclesiastes. And part of the reason for this is, is is as we're going to see in the coming weeks, Ecclesiastes is, is part Hebrew poetry. And it's part proverb or proverbial. And all of it, from start to finish, is philosophical. Unlike a narrative, Ecclesiastes must be read slowly, carefully, contemplatively. Ecclesiastes takes time and effort. But it's time worth spent and effort worth expending. And so we're going to take our time. We're going to take our time and we're going to work our way through Ecclesiastes together, knowing that Ecclesiastes is living and sharper, is active sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit and joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Ecclesiastes is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we in Christ may be complete, equipped for every good work. Oh, and if you're wondering right at the start, if I have like a one-sentence summary of the book of Ecclesiastes, well, it's not original to me, but my one-sentence summary goes like this, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Got to catch you, isn't it? Let's look together. The first thing I want us to look at is life is Short. Life is short. Ecclesiastes begins with an introduction to the philosopher, to the poet, or, as he refers to himself, the preacher, as it is translated. It's the Hebrew word kohalet. In fact, the name Ecclesiastes is taken from the Greek translation of the word from which we get our word ecclesiastical. The title connotes a meeting, an assembling, a convening Of the church. It is as if the preacher is saying, this is our call to worship. Let us come together and hear. But what follows, as we will see, is less of a sermon and more a reflection to be shared, considering the meaning of life. And it's a message for God's people. But the preacher is not a priest. He's a king. As he refers to himself as the son of David. And the Ecclesiastes has been traditionally understood as to, be, as to have been written by Solomon. Let I me mean, think about this. Who else but Solomon had done all that he had done? Lived the way that he had lived? Experienced all that he had experienced? Not many, if anyone. And who else but Solomon could say, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, this word translated vanity is important. And we need to understand it right from the get-go because it's used 38 times in Ecclesiastes. Like, if you're looking for the one word summary of the book of Ecclesiastes, this is it. It's the word here translated vanity. It's the Hebrew word Ebel. The word vanity, unfortunately, is often misunderstood or understood in modern contexts as meaning meaningless or futile. But literally translated, eble means breath. It means a, a puff or a gust of wind. It's also translated elsewhere as a vapor or a mist. Conceptually, that's life. It's here, and it's gone. (sighs) Like a breath. Or as one commentator translates the verse, breath of breaths, everything is temporary. I think it's a good translation of it. This is not to say that everything in this world is temporary, but that everything in our experience of this world is temporary. Think about it this way. The sun is not temporary, but a sunrise is. The certainty of the solar cycle is temper is not temporary, but the beauty of a sunset is. As an artist, my wife loves to take pictures exceeding her Apple phone memory storage over and over again. She loves to take pictures. She loves to take pictures that are during a period called the golden hour. Some of you will be familiar with this. During the golden hour. And they're typically pictures that she will later paint. But to capture a picture during the golden hour, you can't be late. You can't procrastinate. The golden hour is gone, that's Ebel. That's your life. James asks, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And it's a worthy question, but it's also a sobering thought, isn't it? Unknown to the young, well known to the old. People seek to answer this question in a myriad of ways. If you say to someone, life is short, what do you think about that? You'll hear a number of different things. But in summary, someone will emphasize wisdom and knowledge. Some, work and wealth. Some, the pursuit of happiness. In all of these summaries, we'll be looking at in the weeks ahead ahead of us. Solomon's going to take us there. But if life is but a mist, I go back to what James asks, what is your life? What's the point? If your life and my life is but, then, man, what in the world is the point of life? Or as Solomon puts it, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? It's a rhetorical question, right? Not to be answered, but to be considered. And that's the point that Solomon is making here. He's making a point to you and to me to say, Stop. Think. Consider. What is your life? Part of what drives us to strive, however, for significance in this life, for meaning in this life, is that so much of life is just ordinary. And who wants to be ordinary? Oh, well, you know, John, he's ordinary. I mean, I'd kind of like be defensive. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm extraordinary. My wife said so. No, she just said you're ordinary. I mean think about it ordinary doesn't make headlines ordinary doesn't fill concert halls and nobody made history being ordinary right but even in the church we can fall prey to this kind of thinking we we can say well well oh you covenant presbyterian you guys are so dull you're so boring presbyterian I'm like don't you know boring and presbyterian are like synonyms like, this is what we strive at. We're really good at this. <laughs> they want a, people want a new work. I want a new song. I want a new beat. I want a new look. I want, a, I want a, a, anything but ordinary. Are you kidding me? And yet, when you consider the testimony of creation, do you know what you find? Creation is gloriously ordinary. It is gloriously ordinary. In the first chapter that was read today, we read, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And even after the cataclysmic flood, God said to Noah, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. In Arkansas, we experience all of this often in one 24-hour period. <laughs> by God's design, creation is beautifully and reliably ordinary. Which is not by accident, nor by chance, but by design kept By providence. Likewise, life and death are ordinary aspects of this fallen world. Note that I didn't say ordinary aspects pre-fall, right? But as a result of the fall, they're ordinary aspects of this fallen world. We're born, we live, and we die. As a minister, I have the privilege of being a part of three major life events Baptism of a child, oftentimes officiating a wedding, and a funeral. And the older I get, it's likely that I'm going to encounter all three, possibly of the same person. But the point is, is that all are from dust, and to dust all return. That's a quote you've heard a myriad of times. That's from Ecclesiastes. We come from dust. We're going back to dust. That's the way it works. It's ordinary that way. You and I are in a long line of ancestors. Think about it. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve of Eden. And they died and returned to dust. Generation after generation worked to feed and clothe and shelter themselves. And I mean, worked hard to do it in some eras. And yet, they have returned to dust upon the earth. And yet, the earth ordinarily keeps going. Solomon says it remains forever, on and on and on, world without end. Our ancestors are gone. And beyond a generation or two, we don't remember them. Quick. Name your great, great, great maternal grandfather. Can't do it, can you? Tell me something about him. Tell me something about your great, great, great grandmother. What was her favorite color? And and we think what we do today is so important, don't we? You're not going to be remembered, they're not going to remember me. Here's the thing, as the pastor of this congregation, if I die today, in ten years, people will be struggling to remember my name. And that's the way that it goes. Our ancestors are gone. We don't remember them. But the same sun rose on them that rose upon us this very morning. The same sun that sat on them set last night. The very same. So, are you worried about it? anybody anybody worried about the sun rising tomorrow morning? Is anybody worried last night when you did? I don't. You think that I watched the news? I don't know if the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Nobody worried about that. Why? Well, the question is absurd, as the fool who says in his heart there is no God. Or what about the wind? Why do sailboats move? Why do windmills turn? From where does wind come? And where does wind go? We do not know. But come and goes, it blows. Around and around, Solomon says, goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. And likewise, water to the sea. All streams run to the sea. But the sea is never full because the water cycle continues. And so ordinary is creation that we often don't even think about it. It's why I joked about, you know, how many of you were worried about the sun rising. Well, you weren't because it's so predictably ordinary. We take it for granted. We take for granted that the world God created works so brilliantly well. I mean, don't get me wrong. We can make a mess of it. We can dirty the place up. We can foul the place up. But get rid of us for a few generations, and the world keeps doing what it is doing. And yet, in our search for significance, we seek for it in what we do. What we have accomplished. Who we are, as opposed to what God has done. And think about that. I'm searching for significance in what I do, who I am, and I'm dust on my way back to dust. But God and the world that He's created continues forever, and yet I look for significance in myself. Meanwhile, day after day, generation after generation, creation keeps showing. Creation keeps telling. For what can be known about God is plain, because God has shown it. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so life is brilliantly, gloriously, ordinary. And yet, as ordinarily consistent as sun and wind and water are, we can interpret it in a sense of futility. Can't we? That constancy. Life is constant. Life is unceasing. On and on it goes. It just keeps coming after me. Every morning I wake up and there it is. Life hit me in the face, we may feel sometimes. With no regard for what your parents did, what you do, or what your children will do. The sun always rises and sets. But Solomon says... Funny how it never makes any progress. Keeps on working, but it's always just rising and setting over and over and over and over again with no progress made. And the same is the case with wind. The same is the case with water. Likewise, we speak, but we never run out of words. Some of you more than the rest of us. We see but we've never seen enough. We listen, but we've never heard enough. Like the sun and the wind and water, no one ever says, that's it, I'm full. I have seen enough, I have heard enough, I have said enough, which we may say on a Saturday night in frustration at our children, but the very next day, we're still saying, looking, and listening, aren't we? But this doesn't stop us. As the cliche goes, what's new? Someone comes to me and says, hey John, what's new? Well, I'm studying Ecclesiastes right now. Turns out nothing. Nothing, nothing's new. Seriously, nothing. Nothing's new. Like the cycles of creation, there is nothing new under the sun. And let me just say this. So much for the myth of progress. We aren't evolving into a better species. Despite what our technology tells us. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. Yet, we look at our devices and we say, See? this is new <laughs> but solomon says nope it's all it has been already in the ages before us and these are these are frustrating words to those who consider that what we make and what we have done is new is different it's progressive and our so-called information age for example and we're all guilty of this, I would imagine, we are obsessed with our screens and connectivity. Why do you think I had to put the machine in the drawer and turn the sound off? Can't get away from the screen. I did take it out of the drawer, but I'm really thinking about putting it back in there. It was, it was actually quite lovely. But the thing is, is that we feel like, and we're even told we are connected like we've never been connected as a species. And yet... William Powers studied this, and he said, history tells a different story. He says, in every age, it has been understood the essential human urge to connect. And they were unusually thoughtful about screen equivalents of their respective epochs. In other words, what he's saying is if you do a study of history, what you find, it might not be that shiny silver thing that's in the drawer, but age after age, there has always been a screen equivalent. We have always said, well, we're connected better than we've ever been connected before. In our so called information age, we deceive ourselves. Anybody ready for an upgrade? <laughs> In this sense, we deceive ourselves, you see, with our own technology. We deceive ourselves with our own technology. My favorite curmudgeon, Wendell Berry, writes clairvoyantly, and he wrote this back in 1987 in an essay called Why I Am Not Going to Buy a Computer, which only Wendell Berry can write a best-selling essay and call it that. Why I'm Not Going to Buy a Computer, but I love how he puts this. And remember, this was written in 1987. He says... I, can, I can't do Wendell Berry's accent. He's got that southern Kentucky draw. But I, a number of people by now have told me that I could greatly improve things by buying a computer. My answer is that I am not going to do it. But then he goes on to say, listen closely, I do not see that computers are bringing us one step nearer to anything that matters to me. Peace economic justice, ecological health, political honesty, family and community stability, good work. Now, Barry's point is not that we're all to become Luddites, but to not let the myth of progress blind us to what's most important. And that's where Solomon is taking us. We must not let Our so-called technology blind us. The era of our age blind us to what is most important. All of the meaningless things that you and I were upset about this last week, and I mean really upset about, won't even be remembered by the next generation. For this is the way of life under the sun. We say that we value history, but in actuality, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And those who come after will do the same thing, and they'll, they're going to believe the exact same myth. See? This is new. It's at this point that some get really frustrated at Solomon. There are some that think, wow, that's what you're preaching? When does this series end? (laughs) And we can get really frustrated at Solomon's sobriety. As if to ask, what's the point of life if everything is simply a cycle? Life on repeat. Nothing new under the sun. And truly, it is sobering, and I might add that is, in fact, Solomon's intent. But if you and your work, if your achievements, if your entertainment and your pleasure is your life, you should be miserable. God did not create us to glorify and find joy in ourselves. That's not our chief end. God is. And though we live under the sun, you see, God does not. He is not constrained to time and space. And the cycles of life can seem repetitive and dull to us, But we're not God. He did not create the world, wind it up, let it go to let it just unwind to our peril. No. Scripture says that every nanosecond of our existence is upheld. It is sustained by the same word that created the world in the beginning. Every breath you take is a gift from God. A gift you take for granted, just like the sunrise. And in conclusion, I just want you to think with me. I just want you to focus on the sunrise. Because G.K. Chesterton said this, The sun rises every morning. I do not rise every morning, but the variation is due not to my activity, but to my inaction It might be true that the sun rises regularly because he never gets tired of rising. His routine might be due not to a lifelessness, but to a rush of life. The thing that I mean can be seen, for instance, in children. When they find some game or joke that they specially enjoy, a child kicks his legs rhythmically through excess, not absence, of life. Because children have an abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. And they always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough To exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning. Do it again to the sun. And every evening. Do it again to the moon. It may be automatic necessity. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never got tired of making them. The repetition in nature may not be a mere recurrence. It may be theatrical encore. (laughs) You're never going to look at a sunrise again the same, are you? And I hope not. Because you see, the same is true of God's unceasing love and never-ending mercies shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Although we are not faithful... He was unto death, that we might have life through Him. And in Christ, our Father never tires of loving us, never grows weary of showing us mercy. Like the sunrise, they are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. We do not look at this life and curse our Creator for the constancy of its brevity or believed boredom. Instead, at sunset, we pray. And at sunrise, we say, This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, these are hard words for mere mortals. We who seek significance in the stuff of life. The words are hard because we make much of ourselves and so little of you. O God, give us a heart to glorify you, for in Christ you have redeemed us as your people. You have put your Spirit within us, our Helper indeed. Help us, we pray, to glorify you and enjoy you forever. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.